Hello and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation from academic discussions happening in our journal to interviews with filmmakers and artists and global perspectives on health and medicine from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and to the humanities because life happens at the intersections. Hi, I'm Catherine Bashinsky, a postdoctoral fellow studying public health at NYU Langone. And I'm Britt Trogan. I'm a pediatrics resident at NYU. And this is the British Medical Journal's Medical Humanities Podcast. Today we're going to talk about an excerpt from a 400-year-old play, The Book of Sir Thomas More, and its surprising resonance with current immigration debates and health concerns. So the British Library recently digitized this play, which was actually written by several authors, but the speech we're going to talk about was attributed to none other than Shakespeare himself. So Kathleen, I know you and I share an interest in public health and children's health, but I only recently learned that, like myself, you are a big Shakespeare fan. So where did your initial interest in Shakespeare come from? Well, I was very fortunate that when I was doing my doctoral studies in public health at Columbia University, there was actually a theater group for medical and public health students. So I got to act in a few Shakespearean plays and just fell in love with his writing. I actually also got hooked uh, during a summer program I took in college. It was a Shakespearean acting and text analysis course, so it gave me a really great appreciation for his writing. And I think coming across this new text that I'd never read before was actually really exciting, so I'm looking forward to discussing it. So to set the scene, an angry mob of rioters is on the streets of London. They've gathered to force a group of immigrants out of the country, and one man, Sir Thomas More, steps forward to defend the immigrants. He asks rioters to empathize with the immigrants and pleads with them to confront their mountainous inhumanity. There's actually a wonderful recording of this speech by Sir Ian McKellen. He gave a reading of this piece in 2016. So to get things started, let's listen to a short excerpt from this speech. Imagine that you see the wretched strangers, their babies at their backs with their poor luggage plodding to the ports and coasts for transportation, and that you sit as kings in your desires. Authority quite silenced by your brawl, and you in rough of your opinions clothed. What had you got? I'll tell you, you had taught how insolence and strong hand should prevail. That is such a fantastic reading, isn't it? Yeah, no one could possibly do a better job with this piece than Ian McKellen. So what are your initial reactions to reading this scene? I think what's so interesting about this scene is that even though it was written hundreds of years ago, a lot of these themes still seem very relevant today. And it really gives us some perspective on just how long we've been having these same debates about immigration and xenophobia. And I know as a historian, you had some insight into this. Yeah, so the the context of this, the, the 1517 May Day riots that are featured in this speech were motivated by fears that immigrants were taking Londoners' jobs and the belief that England should be only for the English. Hmm. In fact, in the weeks leading up to the riot, one priest named Dr. Beale told crowds that foreigners eat the bread from poor fatherless children. We obviously hear echoes of this today. Yeah, absolutely. England for the English sounds kind of like the Elizabethan version of Make America Great Completely, Again. I agree. And I think that's a really important point about just how long-standing these issues are. Um, you know, in the way that the news is presented today, it sometimes feels like we're in an unprecedented crisis that 
the challenges we're dealing with today are orders of magnitude worse than what they've been in the past. And I think the danger in that is that, you know, as a society, we tend to be more willing to suspend our values and our moral judgments in very extreme situations. So, you know, as an example, I think most people would condemn the use of torture. Um, but to use a common ethical question, if there was a ticking bomb about to go off and if torture could hypothetically reveal the location, you start to see a bit more equivocation. Do you think that might be what Shakespeare means when he has Sir Thomas More say in the speech, grant that this your noise hath chid down all the majesty of England? In other words, by rioting and suspending their moral judgment, the rioters are abandoning their country's values. They're abandoning all the majesty of England. Yeah, that's definitely how it reads to me. And, you know, there's another section where um, More accuses the crowd of leading the majesty of law in Lyam to slip him like a hound. And that really reminds me of the line from Julius Caesar, cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war, basically saying that we've allowed our civilized behavior to break down into chaos. But despite the chaos of the mob that's depicted in the scene, at the time of these May Day riots, only about 2% of London's population was actually born abroad. Yeah, no, it's a really, it's a great example of how fears of foreigners didn't actually have to be based in a wide-scale threat. Right. I think, you know, it, it wasn't a massive influx of immigrants going on, but instead it was the rhetoric of fear and demonization that was whipping up the antagonism. And unfortunately, this kind of anti-immigrant rhetoric is all too familiar. To go back to the speech, Shakespeare made really wonderful use of animal metaphors throughout this speech. Um, at one point, he says that um, the Londoners, in reference to the immigrants, wet our detested knives against their throats, spurn them like dogs. And I think that dehumanization is something that we still see today in a lot of the talk around um, immigration in the U.S., People say things like, they're not people, these are animals. We have to be very, very tough uh, in relation to, to immigrants. That's right. And in addition to the line that you picked out about dogs, there's another passage with comparison to sharks and fishes mm -hmm. that I think is maybe one of my favorite animal metaphors in this <laughs> speech, maybe all of Shakespeare's right. writing. And that's the part where he says that uh, if the writers continue down this path, that other people with self-same hand, self-reasons, and self-right would shark on you, and men like ravenous fishes would feed on one another. Yeah, it's so vivid. You just imagine us all as fish picking at each other's flesh. And what is it about this passage that you like? Well, what I love about it so much is that it shows how the demonization of immigrants isn't just about the immigrants being like dogs or being like animals, but it also dehumanizes the Londoners themselves. We see in the speech that the Londoners are turning into fishes. Mm -hmm. They're sharking on one another. Um, and to me, that represents how fear and hatred harms everybody's humanity. In some ways, I think this is what's so great about a humanities and a literary perspective, because it can kind of anchor us. You know, it reminds us that in some ways, for better or worse, uh, very little has changed in our approach to these debates. And it's a reminder that we should not feel justified in suspending our moral or our ethical standards. And it's important for everybody, but I really think it's especially important for all of us who work in a field related to medicine or health, mm -hmm. because this failure of moral imagination and this demonization of immigrants has resulted both in the past and continuing today in severe abuses and health harms of immigrants. Mm -hmm. Certainly today in the United States, we're seeing separation of children from their families, 
even alleged abuse of immigrants. Um, and that all has really severe health consequences. Right. So I would love to hear from your perspective as a pediatrician how you see all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most pediatricians watching these events have been really horrified by the treatment of immigrant children, especially with what we know now about um, toxic stress in childhood. So we know that when kids go through traumatic experiences, and that can include things like being separated from their parents, being held in detention centers, that the anxiety and the fear that this provokes in kids activates a fight or flight response. And the longer that these situations go on, the more they start to be built into the architecture of kids' brains. So this results in actual disruption of brain development, uh, disruption of the stress response. And this is why we've come to refer to this as toxic stress. And toxic stress is absolutely a concept that has been a great concern in public health as well right. as medicine because it does have widespread population level effects as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a lot of research now showing that the impact of this um, toxic stress can last not just in the short term, but can last a lifetime. And it can make kids susceptible to a wide range of health problems. So things ranging from PTSD, depression, substance abuse, uh, to other really serious physical health problems like heart disease and diabetes later in life. And I think what's particularly scary about this is that the effect is cumulative. So we know that a lot of these kids have already been traumatized in their journey to get here. Um, they've been exposed to violence, often sexual violence and assault. And what happens to them here then only adds to that trauma. And both studying and preventing this trauma is key to your very mission as a pediatrician because your mission is the optimal health of children. Yeah, definitely. And for public health researchers, too. That's right. I would say, in particular, your point about cumulative trauma is an especially important public health point mm -hmm. because we're often really interested in looking at the life course, which is a kind of fancy public health term for looking at people's health over their entire lifespans. Mm -hmm. And as you pointed out, there's the violence and trauma that immigrants are fleeing, the entire reason that they're immigrating in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then if you add on top of that, what might be happening to them at the border, and then even on top of that, what might be happening to them after they try to immigrate in detention centers or elsewhere, all of that can add up. Right. And that's what we worry. We worry that this all becomes cumulative toxic stress that has really negative health impacts in the long term. And in particular, certainly looking at the U.S. situation where we've heard in the news that there's been, at least in the past, a policy of separating some of these children from their parents. We know that when you separate kids from their parents, they can be put into really vulnerable positions. And in fact, there's already been at least one federal lawsuit alleging the abuse of immigrant Latino teens at a detention center. In this case, the teens allege that they were beaten while handcuffed, locked up for long periods of solitary confinement, and left nude and shivering in concrete cells. It's just an absolutely horrifying description. And, you know, it's that type of reporting. And uh, similarly, the audio recordings and the photographs that are coming out of these detention centers that I think really serves as a direct counterpoint to so much of what we were talking about earlier, the attempt to dehumanize these um, immigrants, because it really drives home the point that these are people and children who are suffering and vulnerable, 
And I think that triggers a lot of us, both within medicine and in the general public, to actually take action and put a stop to it. I think that clearly all of us need those reminders sometimes. It certainly seems that one element that's common to our humanity is to sometimes forget one another's humanity. And I think what's so powerful about this speech by Shakespeare is that Shakespeare is demanding both of his characters within the play, as well as the audience who are watching or listening to the play, Mm -hmm. to put themselves in the position of the immigrant, to imagine what it would be like, you know, in the play to either be fleeing, say, from France or Italy to England today, maybe to be fleeing from Mexico to the United States, um, what that would be like. And I think you could replace the word stranger with immigrant and the word England with USA, and this entire speech would still ring true today. I completely agree. And I think it's definitely worth keeping in mind as you read or listen to this speech. So on that note, let's give Shakespeare the last word, courtesy of Ian McKellen, and let's listen to the conclusion of this wonderful speech. Would you be pleased to find a nation of such barbarous temper that breaking out in hideous violence would not afford you an abode on earth, whet their detested knives against your throats, spurn you like dogs, and like as if that God owned not, nor made not you, nor that the elements were not all appropriate to your comfort, but chartered unto them? What would you think to be thus used? This is the stranger's case. And this your mountainish inhumanity. So that was the stranger's case and also the immigrant's case from William Shakespeare still resonating powerfully today. Um, Thank you all so much for sharing this opportunity with us to reflect on some of these connections between literature and health and our current debates today. Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Stay in touch by reading the journal or our blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We're also on Twitter at medhams underscore BMJ or find us on Facebook. Until next time.